Hey, welcome to Bad Decisions, the podcast that helps us understand why we choose what we choose, why we think what we think, and how to exploit this stuff for fun and commercial gain. I'm Dr. Mel Weinberg. I'm a performance psychologist. And I'm Dan Monheit, co-founder of Hard Hat, a creative agency built for today. Here we go. Hey, Mel. Yeah. Uh, I want to I want to take you all the way back to uh, one of the, the earliest moments where I honestly felt myself falling truly and deeply in love with behavioral economics. This sounds really romantic. Go this on. is kind of romantic. I was sitting at home by myself, <laughs> <laughs> watching a video of a guy who I may or may not have a gigantic man crush on, Dan Ariely. Okay. Hi, Dan. I know you're a listener, and he was talking about the um, outrageous situation that exists in America that I've since learned also exists in Australia around organ donation rates. And it's this crazy situation where, despite us being the lucky country and a very well-developed, very progressive first world nation, lots of great things going for us, the proportion of us who actually end up with our tissue and organ donated once we die is less than 10%. Now, this doesn't just sound bad. This really is bad, especially when you look at it by global standards, Mm -hmm. right? So other countries in the world like Austria, Belgium, France, Hungary, Poland, Portugal... These guys have organ donation rates of 98% or higher. Some of them even have organ donation rates of 100%, right? And here we are, where all the way on the other side of the world, maybe we just get a little selfish or something on our island over here, but less than one in 10 of us actually end up donating our organs and tissues when we die, which is just diabolical. So basically, like, Australia is a really lucky country as long as you're not dead. Yeah, or on the organ waiting list. Right. Other than that, great place to live. Send your friends and family out here. (laughs) So the interesting thing about this, um, particularly from my perspective, is that when you actually ask Australians whether they would like to donate their organs, three in four people say, yes, of course, I'd love to. And there's this huge discrepancy between the 10% of us or less than 10% of us who actually donate our organs and yet 75% of us really would like to. We really want to do the right thing. Yeah, which, which just goes to show we are not only selfish, but we are also lie. <laughs> yeah. Are so, we lying? Is that what's happening? Most of us are also lying? <laughs> Pretty much. But I anyway, think it's called, is just... it virtue signaling? Maybe. Yeah, anyway, that's Let's another that episode. Yeah. yeah, okay, cool. So the thing that's happening here and the reason that we are in this situation where you've got a whole bunch of people who say that, yeah, this is something that I'd really like to do, morally great thing to do, count me in, and yet barely any of us do it, is because the default in Australia is not to donate our organs. Exactly, because what happens in these other countries that I just mentioned before is that as soon as you get your driver's license, you're an organ donor, unless you specifically want to go to the trouble of opting out. And as we all know in Australia, or for our Australian listeners here, you are not an organ donor unless you specifically go to the effort of going to the website and registering your details and opting yourself in. So the reason we're talking about this is that it demonstrates the power of what we know as the default bias. Ooh, did you say default bias? I said default bias. Is that our heuristic for the episode? (laughs) It is. We need some default music. It should just be something really plain and boring and just whatever whatever you've got really the closest easiest thing that you've got just as the default i would love actually cops can you just get your ipod and put it on shuffle and just whatever the first <laughs> thing that plays is that's what we're going with okay so you're a rocket scientist that don't impress me much Cops is a big Shania Twain fan. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the default bias 
refers to the idea that basically whatever we put as the default, even if it's something completely random, uh, the default option has a disproportionately higher chance of being selected. Right. This sounds terrible. This sounds like this is going to cause us to make all sorts of terrible decisions in life. This is the thing. It could be hugely problematic if people use it for the wrong reasons. Yeah. I mean, not even could be like, let's be honest here, six out of 10 people who would be very happy to donate organs and tissue actually take their organs and tissue with them in a box in the ground when they're dead, when they have no need for such organs and tissues anymore, just because of this one dirty little heuristic. So like in this case, it works out, not in our favor from an Australian perspective, but we also live in a country where the default option is to vote. Okay. Uh So on, you know, on the flip side, yes, maybe we're not as many of us donate our organs as in many other countries, but um, to maybe compensate for that, we have large voter turnout rates. Oh, that's great. Right. So we had something like 94% of Australians, of eligible Australians, not sure what the other 6% were doing. 94% of, uh, of, of eligible Australians voted in our, in our last federal election, whereas, for example, in the US, it was something less than 60%. And look how that turned out. Well, look how ours turned out. And like, I don't really think that, yeah, going and tell people on the organ waiting list that, you know what, at least you know that you're in a country that votes a lot next election is really any consolation. The thing is that like from a broader societal perspective, these have actually big implications. Like voter turnout is a sign of civic participation, which is associated with social capital. And we can go on and talk about all the benefits this has for actually building strong communities. Um, but something as simple as putting voting or making voting as the default that you basically have to vote unless you have a very, very good reason or want to get fined um, has huge implications for the way we actually function as society. Also excellent for sausage sizzle sales. Okay. So are there particular places in our life where we are especially vulnerable to default biases? Well, like with any of the heuristics that we talk about here, situations when we're low on information Mm -hmm. or where we don't really care. Yeah, I guess there's this idea, especially if you're in the marketing world, that we think that people really want to optimize every purchase they make. So if we happen to be a marketer working for a washing detergent company, we would like to think that when people go and buy washing detergent, they are really trying to get the best value for their money, buy a brand that they feel great about, that's going to deliver them everything that they want. And you want like the brightest colors, the whitest whites. The loveliest smell. Of course. But the reality is for all but a very, very small handful of purchases that any one of us make in a a year or even a lifetime, we are not optimizers. We are what we call satisficers. So we might all optimize for one or two categories in our lives. So for some people, it's when they buy a car, they really, really want to go through all the details of getting the best thing they can get. Or for other people, it's sneakers or whiskey or handbags or whatever it is. But the vast majority of things in life, the vast majority of things we purchase, we're just trying to satisfy us. We're just trying to buy the thing that gives us the least likelihood of dying, either actually or socially. So here's the part of the show where I give you a big word um, to describe the little words that you use, even though optimise and satisfy are pretty good, Good. like well done. Um, Not feeling patronised towards it at all. Do you want to sound it out for me? Good. What's the word? Say it with me. Yeah. It's called the acceptability threshold. All right, I got this. The acceptability threshold. Easy. See, nailed it. And the acceptability threshold is basically the minimum standard that we're willing to accept. Like what you look for in a podcast (laughs) co-host? Something like that. I'm proud to have met your accessibility threshold. Acceptability. Damn it. Acceptability (laughs) threshold. There we go. We'll get there. Yeah. 
So I guess what we're seeing here is that for all but a couple of categories where we're really looking to optimize what we're doing, uh, we're happy to just take whatever will just get us through, whatever passes our acceptability threshold. And that's really because, to be honest, we're kind of lazy, uh, we're kind of busy, and we're just looking for some sweet, sweet relief from the thousands upon thousands of decisions we'd have to make every day from scratch if default options didn't exist. So the default option serves a hugely important function, right? It can guide us towards sort of the, maybe the right direction mm -hmm. or the best direction for us, um, or it can totally detract us and take us towards something that will just be like, you know what, close enough is good enough. Like, mm -hmm. I'll, just, I'll just take that. Um, the thing that I love about the default option, and I want to bring this in, is that when I was thinking about it, the default option is like, a super heuristic. Super heuristic. It's like the superhero of heuristics because it actually incorporates a few of the heuristics we've talked about into sort of understanding why it works and the power that it has. So the default option works for a number of reasons. One of the reasons is that there's an element of social proof in it. So we've talked about social proof mm -hmm. and how we'll basically just do what everybody else does. When we see a default option, we pretty much believe that, well, that's what everybody else is doing and if it's good enough for everybody else, it's good enough for me. Uh, okay, so like when you're on a website trying to buy some sort of online software, as an example, and you see the popular package that people buy, so there's the cheap, there's the medium, there's the premium. The popular one is always the medium one, so I guess that is a default option, mm -hmm. yep. and it's also social proof. Correct. Another thing that comes into play is the idea of decision fatigue. We talked about this when we talked about choice paradox and the idea that, you know, even though we like to think that we have so many choices, um, we're really not very good at making decisions mm -hmm. when we have a whole lot of choice. So the default gives us an easy, here you go, just take this, let me take the worry away from you uh, and all the complexity of making a choice away from you and just take the default. Yeah, so anybody who's been to McDonald's or has worked at McDonald's would know that if you go up to the counter and just order a Big Mac meal, if the person on the other side of the counter knows what they're doing, they will say to you, oh, is that a large meal? Because they know that one option is to stand here and evaluate, well, I don't know, is it a large meal? How hungry am I? How thirsty am I? When is the next time I'm going to be able to eat or drink something? When did I last eat or drink something? Or the other option is just to go, yes and just get on with it and pay them the money and go and wait for your food to come out. Way easier. Way and this easier. Thing, and this sort of speaks into the next one that comes into play, which is that there's a confirmation bias involved as well, which is if the default option is presented to us, I mean, we have to have a pretty strong reason to not go with that option, mm -hmm. right? We've got to be pretty sure that that's not going to be the right thing for us when it's way easier, like you said, to just go, yep, yep, that sounds good, and to think of all the reasons why, yep, that'll be good enough for me. I mean, the person who suggested it is wearing a visor and a name tag, so clearly they're the expert. They look pretty reputable. They know that large is the right way to go. They know fries. And who am I, just as a layman, to argue with that? <laughs> yeah, I'll have a dessert too. Thank you. <laughs> so default bias is a super heuristic, and I'm going to coin that term because I don't even know if it exists, but you heard it here first. Super heuristic. I feel like it's the Voltron of heuristics. It can be. Like all the other heuristics come together and unite to make default bias. Yeah, this is Captain Heuristic right here. It wears a cape. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's how we know it's super. Um, but it, it really is one of those things where it's so hard to avoid and so powerful because it pretty much brings together a few of the other heuristics that we've talked about. Yeah, and I guess the thing about the default bias is once you realize it's happening, you start noticing it everywhere. So let's talk about some of the examples of where we find it. Let's. Oh, you want me to talk about some examples? If you wouldn't mind. Okay, sure thing. So I guess one of the places that you often see this is, you know, when somebody who knows what they're doing is emailing you trying to set up an appointment, mm -hmm. they'll always suggest a time. So rather than saying, hey, it would be great to catch up sometime, let me know when you're free. It's like, oh God, that's putting a lot of work on mm -hmm. the other person. 
the default bias would encourage that person to say, hey, we should really catch up sometime. How are you Wednesday at 2 p.m. or Friday at midday? So what they've done is they've given two great default options that I could take, which makes it a path of much less resistance to just say yes and end up going to a meeting I probably don't want to go to. So that applies also, it applies one thing for t- in terms of setting up meetings, but it applies um, more generally as well. So let me give you some research, if I may. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious shit. So we're going to talk about a study that was looking at the opt-in versus opt-out scenarios with regard to flu vaccination. So basically we've got a workplace here and they set up two conditions. There was a condition where a group of employees were sent an email that said, listen, we're going to offer you all the chance to have the flu vaccine. Mm -hmm. Please call this number to make an appointment and book in your time. That's sweet of them. Yeah. The other email that was sent to another group of employees basically said, specified a date and a time. So yours might have said, hey, Dan, we're really pleased to offer you the chance to have a flu vaccine at your workplace. Your appointment is next Tuesday at 4pm. Please call this number if you'd like to change or cancel. Got it. Right. So some people have a time and date specified. Other people have to opt in, essentially. And basically what happened was the people who had their time and date specified were much more likely to attend their appointment and get the flu vaccine um, because all they had to do was just go along with the default that was set for them makes sense i guess it's, it's interesting in a lot of like service-based businesses that the default bias is kind of wrapped up in good customer service and, you know at some point you're just being preemptive and doing the right thing for the customer and sometimes that also aligns with the thing that you would most like them to do yeah so it's like if you go into a retail store and you grab something off the shelf and you haven't even maybe picked the right size and all of a sudden the uh, salesperson comes up to you and is like hey can i pop that in the change room for you and all of a sudden the thing's already in the change room. And once it's in the change room, you've basically bought it. Well, you have to go and try it on, at right. least. So you're basically being defaulted not into purchasing the product, but into the behaviour bef- immediately before it that strongly predicts your purchasing behaviour. Yeah, trying stuff on is a good leading indicator for actually purchasing stuff. Yeah. You know, for me, I, well, I was going to say I try and steer away from religion in this show, but I really don't. I think this is like one of the most striking examples of default bias, that of all of the religions in the world, and who knows, there must be hundreds or thousands of religions in the world, the vast majority of people stay with the one they were born with. It's just way easier, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, so lucky for them, they were born into the exact right religion and they can just go down that path as opposed to going through the arduous, very tiring task of evaluating all of the world's religions and then deciding which, if any, are actually the right choice for you and subscribing to that. Well, because once you've been defaulted into it, you then spend the rest of your life in a confirmation bias. Exactly. Going about activities that reinforce the fact that you your default option was the right one for you. Exactly. <laughs> um, uh, hey, but religious is great. If you enjoy it, good for you. And look, anybody who watches Netflix is vulnerable to the default bias as I well. Don't, I don't know what you're talking about. I absolutely <laughs> sat down with the intention of watching four episodes back to back. It has nothing to do with that little next episode automatically starting in five, four, three, two. Okay, you got me. I'm in. I'm in, yeah. I think that's actually reduce the time before which the next episode starts as well to make it even harder for you to, to opt stop out. It's, it's like wait where's the remote oh, uh, it it's already started yeah. opening credits are rolling may as well just watch the whole thing exactly all right so tell me how brands can use this information ethically so i mean for brands the most obvious the sort of the, the tier one way of using this is to say look anytime we put out options for people, they're going to choose something, right? And if we make one of those options the default, it will be selected a disproportionate amount of the time. So it would be crazy not to set a default option that matches up with the thing that we would most like to sell. 
whether that is the type of package or the way you structure a contract with the client about whether they pay at the start or the end of a phase or you know, just how long the service agreement goes for. So you could set a default option of 12 months or you could set a default option of 24 months and see if people argue with that. Chances are they probably won't. Okay, that's tier one. What's tier two? So I guess the next thing is a bit bigger and a bit meatier and it's that question of what things do we as a brand want to be the default option for? Like what do we want to be famous for? Mm -hmm. And I think one of the most interesting recent examples of this is uh, Beats headphones. So what these guys have done is all of their communications and all of their messaging of late is about the pregame ritual, right? Mm -hmm. So they don't really show athletes playing the sport that they're famous for, but they show athletes in the team bus, in the locker room, coming through the tunnel, always with their Beats headphones on. And they've sort of positioned themselves as the default choice for pregame preparation, Okay. which is, you know, it's kind of like uncharted territory. Nobody had really owned that moment before. Mm -hmm. Everybody knew the moment happened, but nobody had really seized it. So... Uh, when you're seizing a new moment, you get a wonderful opportunity to present yourself as the default option, mm -hmm. the, the Kleenex, the blue tack, the whatever it is for that particular category. Awesome. Is there a tier three? There's no tier three. Well, okay. maybe you're the tier three. <laughs> Can you elevate it? Well, let me flip it a little bit. And instead of talking about brands, let's talk about the people on the other side. All right. Um, if you are a smart consumer, you have to be aware that there is likely going to be a default option set for you, right? And the question you have to ask yourself is, hang on, do I want to be defaulted? Do I care enough to not be defaulted, right? Because the default option may be a completely random option that has no thought behind it at all, or you may be dealing with a smart brand who is trying to push you into or maybe Push sounds a little rough. Maybe they're trying Encourage to nudge. Into? They're trying to nudge you into making a decision that actually benefits them and may not be the best thing for you. So a smart consumer will consider: Do I really care? Am I happy to go with the default option, or do I really know what I want? And am I going to tell them what I want and not let them tell me? So maybe are you suggesting that we don't just have optimizing and satisficing maybe we need like a satisficing plus like just give a little bit of a crap about this <laughs> now we're gonna have a whole choice paradox about whether you want to optimize satisfy yeah. satisfy plus <laughs> yeah but i guess what you're saying is as as consumers we need to be aware of when these default options are being pushed in front of us and even if you are just gonna lie back and take it at least be conscious that that's what's going on own it own it <laughs> all right let's wrap it up Cool. So what we're talking about today is the default bias, which is the tendency to take the option that has been recommended for us as the default choice. And as it turns out, that option gets selected a disproportionately high amount of the time. And it happens because we have so many decisions to make in our lives that sometimes, and if it's something particularly we don't care about that much, it's easier to just go with the option that's presented to us. And that's fine, but let's be aware of it and let's own that space. That's right. And as marketers, we need to think about a couple of things. One is when we're asking consumers to make choices, what is the choice that we most want them to select and how do we present that as the default option? And as a business or as a brand, is there something that we want to become the default option for? All right. Where do we go from here? Uh, well, this is the bit where we do our social media handles. Okay, let's do it. You go first. All right. Um, you can find me on Twitter, on Instagram, at Dr. Mel W, so D-R-M-E-L-W. You can also find me on LinkedIn. Uh, and you can find me on a bunch of those sites as well. And I am Dan Monheit, no doctor, as we painfully learnt a couple of episodes back. <laughs> it still hurts, doesn't it? It still hurts. <laughs> If you guys have enjoyed this episode, and we really hope you have, uh, please feel free to give us a review via iTunes or Stitcher. Uh, yeah, ratings are good too. And also you should totally subscribe. Yeah, because that way you can listen next time. Exactly. And the next episode will just start in like three, two, one. one.